mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bible with me to Mark chapter 14, as we continue to go through this evangelist's uh, testimony of the life of Jesus Christ, we're going to be beginning this morning in verse 53, 1453 of Mark. Now, if you remember with me, he was just arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we remember that. The Garden of Gethsemane is an olive grove. Gethsemane means oil press. And in the Bible, as types, oil is always the Holy Spirit. And then so the press would press out the will of God from your life. When you go through suffering, when you go through hard times, when you're walking with God even in the garden, He's always there, but it's supposed to press you into His presence. It's supposed to squeeze out the will of God in your life, not your own fleshly desires. We're supposed to be being led by the Holy Spirit in everything that we do because Romans 8.14 tells us, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And we want to be in the family of God, so we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us the ways of God. And that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we're always listening for the voice of God. Now, they just met him. Judas has went out and betrayed him. And if you remember in the text in John, it says it was dark. Because anytime you're living in a way that would betray Jesus Christ, darkness is in your life, and God is a God of light. And he comes and betrays him with a kiss. My own familiar friend, the psalm says, who has eaten my bread with me, has uh, lifted his hand against me. And we know the prophecies of him being betrayed of course, if we were in John again, there's four testimonies here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all four really give you a different perspective of the exact same thing. And, and why is that important? Listen, if you've ever been in a courtroom and you parade four witnesses up on the stand and all four of them say the very exact same thing, you know, most lawyers and most prosecutors would say, you know, stop this. We don't need all four of these people telling us the same exact facts. What we need to do is tell the entire testimony, the entire story, but from different perspectives, and then it makes the story have veracity or truthfulness to it. 
If you bring, everybody says it the same thing, then you can see they put their minds together. You want to see a good fake trial? See people that are all saying the same thing. They all say the exact same testimony. Well, the good news is, is if you study all four Gospels, these four evangelists, they give us a witness of the life of Christ, but all four of them give it a little bit differently. And if you want the full witness of Christ, you have to put all four testimonies together and then you see the perfection of it. Because if, if something happens, and what they usually say is like if there's a car wreck out here, every one of us here looking out the window and the police would ask us what happened, we would have a different way of telling them as a witness because we all are different. But we would all tell them the same two cars collided. And, and it may be that we might even think something else happened, but we would tell them. You might have seen somebody walking back there. And I seen it right at the same time, and you can ask him because he was walking over there. It would all be a little bit different. Therefore, it has more uh, of a believability, if that's a word. Veracity is too big of a word. So Judas kisses him, betrays him with a kiss, pretending to be a friend in this familiar place where they met all the time in fellowship. See, God wants to meet with us. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open that door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. In the place where God wants to meet us, that is the place we betray him at, in our hearts. When we begin to worship other things and follow other things and do other things and not learn to have fellowship with God, we betray him in that place, the place where he meets with us at. He's after our hearts. He's not after your clothes. He's not after your singing voice, and I am so glad of that. As Mike likes to say, or I like to say, we, we are biblical. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I, I, you know what? I like it better than I like the great big band that does a performance and pretends to be singing to God. And really, they're trying to show you how good they are on the guitar. Really, they're trying to show you how great they are and how they, they, they do their little performance. And I'm not picking on everybody that plays the guitar and they do it well just because I can't do it well. But my point is this is clearly this. The church in America is apostate. It has fallen away from the faith. And everything that we do becomes a performance like it's Hollywood. Like we have to entertain you. I am not here to entertain you. I am here to tell you the truth of the gospel so you don't go to hell. And if you already believe in Jesus, I'm here to tell you the truth of the gospel so the devil don't deceive you into living like you're going to hell. Because those two things are very important. That we learn to obey God. So a performance is not what we want to do. Yet the church has turned into a performance. And that's how you end up in religion. And it's what you're doing instead of what God wants to do in your heart. And so it's so very important to understand that. There's plenty of churches because the devil has joined the church. So there's plenty of churches that wants to entertain you into hell. In fact, the very word carnival comes from carnal. It's talking about entertainment. And that's what churches have turned into, carnivals, where they, where, they, where they do all kinds of things to make you feel like your flesh is okay and that you're doing this and you're doing that and, and, and this is fun. Let's put our kids in little classrooms and let them have fun until they grow up and 
can go to hell. But we've been taught in the Bible that we're supposed to train our children in the way that they are supposed to go. Not in the way of the carnival. Not in the way of the world. And yet we create institutions called schools that are full of the way of the world. And we put our kids in them and they train them how to become twice the sons of hell. It's a very simple thing. We're just repeating what the nation of Israel did. They did the same thing with their children. They did the same thing, and Jesus came and they crucified him. So he's been betrayed in this private place of the Garden of Gethsemane where he met with them. I love the, well, you know what, turn over to John. Let's just look at it. I, I, John is, a, is another text that tells us exactly what's going on in this text. In John 18, 1. Jesus in 17, if you want to know the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is not in Matthew 5. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. When he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples. Then he prays for you and me, all future believers. And then he goes out of the upper room across the brook Kedron and down through the lower Jerusalem where there's grape arbors. And into the garden, and it says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, 18.1 of John, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden, it's the Garden of Gethsemane, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests. Now, these are the temple guards. It's not the Roman uh, guards yet. Uh, and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, he's God, he knows everything, that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Your Bible says, I am he. You can mark out the he. Mark out the he. It's in italics. It's not in the original text. If you look at it in your Bible, it's in italics. Anything that's in italics is there only to help you understand. But he's really saying, I am. And there's power in that name. And it's from Exodus 3.14 with Moses in the burning bush passage. And he says, who will I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am. He's the becoming one. It's, 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 a, it's where he is actually claiming to be God. He's saying, I am. I am the becoming one. And there's power when he says that. Look at the text. 18.6. I am. They drew back and fell to the ground. See the power in that name? See the power, it's the same power that spoke and created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews tells us that all things were made through Christ, and without him nothing was made. So when God spoke the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and said, let there be light. That's the same power. People fell down. They should have stayed down, crawled away like they were in battle, and never came back to arrest the Messiah, but I'm so glad they got up and arrested him because now you and I can be saved because he went to the cross. He already knew all things that was going to happen. He already knew. You can read Hebrews 12, 
1 through 4, and it'll tell you that he despised that shame, but he counted it joy and is now set down at the right hand of the Father because he knew that he was going to save you and me. This is very, very important stuff that we understand, people, that nobody did anything to Jesus. For this purpose, he came. He came because he loved us. He came because he was the Lamb of God. He came to set you free. He's not your enemy. He loves you. The devil wants you to think he's mad at you. The devil wants to think that he's disappointed in you. He loves you so much that he died for you and poured out his blood as an atoning sacrifice so that you would be able to come to him and freely be part of his family. But the devil wants us to think that he's this mean old grandpa in the sky or this mean old man that's waiting for you to mess up so he could smack you or beat you up when, in fact, he could snuff us all out at any moment. He's the one that put the very breath in us. So he's not disappointed with you. He's just asking you to come and bow down and worship him so that he can give you life and that more abundantly. So when he said, I am... They fell down. John 18, 7 says, Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? Listen, it's a very important question when you go to church. Very important question when you get up in the morning. Very important question in life. Whom are you seeking? See, some people go to church, as one evangelist put it, to either close to watch man. They're seeking, what's the new dress? Others go to church to close the eye. Some go to, to eye the close, and some go to close their eyes and worship God. They're seeking to know who Jesus is. They're seeking to know what he's done for them. They're seeking to know how to be pleasing to him by faith. Others go just because it's cultural. Others go to please their parents. Some go to please a judge. Some go just to think that they're going to win and influence friends. But we should be seeking to know Jesus personally because when Jesus knows you and you know Jesus, you have a love relationship that delivers you from your sin nature and delivers you from death, from going to hell. See, so many people in the world today, and I ask them all the time, I'll say, oh, do you know Jesus? And they say, yeah. And I say, does he know you? See, the important question is, is does Jesus know you? Matthew 7 says, Jesus says to them who cast out demons and they did all these miracles in his name, he says, be away from me, I never knew you. See, a love relationship takes both sides, not just a cultural thing where you say, well, I know Jesus, and you know him in your mind, but it's a heart thing. He's after your heart. He wants to have a love relationship where you obey him, you surrender to him. Whom are you seeking? The church needs to be asked. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the American dream or are you looking for the kingdom of God? Jesus came to declare the kingdom of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God, very God, with us. And it's important that if we are looking for life, that we would seek Jesus and his words and not man's words. And so many are being deceived by following man's words 
In fact, when you look in your streets today and you see Black Lives Matters, when you see the, the riots in the street, when you see the damage going on in the world, what you're looking at is Marxism and socialism. You're not looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church has bought into it for many years. And they're following some plan to reform society. You know what God's plan is to reform society? He's going to burn it up one day. Because everything's purified with fire. God is a consuming fire. And if you're following his plan, it's not going to be popular. People's not going to like what you're talking about. It's not going to be a gang you want to join. See, they just arrested Jesus and everybody fled because they were scared to death. They were going to get killed. We're getting ready to read about Jesus, or, Je- or excuse me, Peter denies Jesus. He's so terrified. It's not popular. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. It's a very uh, delicate thing to be in the world and not of the world. To be soldiers in the army of the living God and not be entangled with the affairs of this life so we can be pleasing to him who called us to be a soldier. Yes, it's a war. It's a war for your soul. That's why when you listen to the wrong voice, when you look at the wrong instruction manual, this is Emmanuel, God with us. This is a Bible. It's 66 books by 40 authors, all written by God that tells us exactly what he's did, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. And he's getting ready to pour out his wrath upon the sons of disobedience. Not many days left. But he's calling children home. He's long-suffering. And he's asking us to surrender to him. Not to do any perfect work. Listen to me. There's no perfect work you can do for God. But you can believe in his perfect work on the cross. The blood that is perfect. That is sinless. And when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You shall be delivered from this crooked and perverse generation. You'll be delivered from the the, the, the the wrath of God just by believing in your heart and then confessing with your mouth. So they said, whom are you seeking? John chapter 18, verse 8. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that they that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you have gave me, I lost none. That was in 1712. He said, I lost none except for the son of perdition, actually. He lost Judas because Judas's heart was looking for money. Judas's heart was not looking to follow God. It was looking for something else. It was divided from the love of God. Verse 10, then Simon Peter having a sword. See, we're not given these names in Mark. Notice here, John, who was there, told us it was Peter who had a sword. Peter's a fisherman. He shouldn't have a sword because he cuts off Malchus's ear. Now, if you put all the Gospels together, that's important because one of the people that asked Peter and says, you were there, is Malchus's relative. And he knows he's seen Peter in the garden. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
it's a long narrative that happened. It seems like it's a few moments because it's written on pages. But this was a long time in the garden and then a long night. Jesus' last night of his life where he has been betrayed with a kiss. He's going to be arrested, bound, beaten, spit upon, mocked, and then nailed to a tree. God with us. Emmanuel. On purpose, he allowed it to happen so that on the other side, he would redeem us and give us life. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He's trying to, he's trying to do the work of the devil. See, he's trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Peter doesn't even know it. And he's the head guy. Think about this. He picked 12. One of them already betrayed him and went out, Judas. Now Peter, his number one guy, is trying to stop him from going to the cross when in fact that's the purpose he came from. How much more do you think that we and you and me and others can try to withhold the will of God from people's lives? If Peter, who walked with him for three and a half years, he'd already been rebuked when he said, you're not going to die, Lord. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because your mind has the will of the devil and not the will of God in mind. See, we have to understand what God is doing, not what the devil is doing. The devil wants to deceive us. So here comes Peter out with a sword, and he wants to stop the will of God. He's the number one guy. What are we going to do? But think about this for a minute. Fast forward. Acts chapter 2. The church is birthed. They've seen him in resurrected form. They know that everything he said is true. And they have the Holy Spirit now leading their life. And he gives the first sermon of the church and 3,000 people are saved. He's no longer afraid. They try to arrest him and he said, I'm not shutting up. Should I obey God or should I obey man? Listen to me. There's a difference between who you know in your head and who you know in your heart. If you just know it in your head, you'll back away when your flesh is weak. But if you know him in your heart because of the Spirit of God has sealed your heart to God in the family of God, you'll stand and you'll be strong even in the face of persecution. And I'm ahead of myself, but listen to me. Persecution is coming. Don't wait till it gets here to say, okay, now i got to think about what am I going to do with God. No, no, you better be ready because it's getting ready to come, and it's going to come quickly. I don't know what it's going to look like. Let me finish this. 18, 12, and then I'll pray, and we'll go back to our text. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers and the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, it was the Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And I really wanted to read that to you because in Mark, Mark is writing to a different audience. He's writing to a Gentile audience. He's writing to Rome. And so he doesn't bring up these things that they would not know. The Jews know these other things. And John is writing to a totally different audience some 35 years later. So when we, we come back here to Mark, we're not going to get the names. We're not going to get those people. 
We're not going to learn about Annas. Annas is the real high priest according to the Jewish law. But Annas wasn't liked by the Roman authorities. So they hired his son-in-law, Caiaphas, made him the high priest. And Caiaphas was nothing more than a mob boss. They, all they wanted to do was make money. They weren't worried about the, the, the law of God or the people of God. Now in Mark 14, it says they were, and they led Jesus away to the high priest. See, he doesn't give names because he's writing to a Roman audience who wouldn't have known who Annas was or Caiaphas was. Led him away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another one made without hands. But not even... Then did their testimony agree, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is these men testifying against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, to, to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say, Those who stood by, this one, this is one of them. But he denied it again. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you are speaking. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. And that we would have a desire in our heart to learn more. Even so many things that we don't understand. But we would have a desire to draw near to you. Because we know if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And you'll open our eyes and give us life. Thank you for being a God who loves your children. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn back to Mark 14.53. We see he's been arrested. Everyone forsook him and fled, we're told, in 1450. 
and they led Jesus away to the high priest. Again, I just explained, it was first to Annas, and you had to put all of them together, who's the real high priest, and then to Caiaphas, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Other text tells us that really it's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priests, 70 elders who ruled all the rulings of the Jewish law. But they're underneath Roman rule. I mean, it's much like today. It's not, it's not really that much different than what's going on right now today. There's a church, and the church has a hierarchy that the God has given it. And then there's the worldly government that tries to tell us what we should be doing and how we should be living. And they found then that it was expedient that Jesus would die. Because Jesus was drawing all the people to himself, and nobody would listen to the ruling authorities anymore. It's the same thing in America. People don't understand it. But the attack right now with COVID, with the government, with everything, is not just against the world. It's against the church. It's against the people who are trying to proclaim morality because of Jesus' sake. And if they hated Jesus, how much more will they hate his followers? How much more will they hate his children who are spread out across the world and being witnesses saying, God said, saying, this is how to live. This is the salvation in no other name. They will hate us because they want to go on with their works of darkness. And you may not understand it today, but just like Jesus told Peter in John chapter 13 when he said, I'm going to wash your feet. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but later you will. So you have to begin to study the word of God and learn and understand that all of this has its beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve. Then it has its beginning with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. It's a government trying to run by the devil and ignore the government of God, to ignore the salvation of God. And the government wants you to follow them and do what they're saying, and they're underneath the sway of the devil. But God just simply comes and dies for us, and His love, His goodness is supposed to draw us into His family. He gives you a choice. You can choose which one you want to follow today. Choose today whom you shall follow. But as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. We will choose the Lord. This is not a new battle. This is the same battle that started with Adam and Eve. And the devil said to Eve, did God really say? That's the question. Whom are you seeking? Are you seeking what God really said? Or are you seeking to do what you want to do? Are you seeking to live in the flesh and follow all this carnival that's going on around us? Oh, there's great reward down here. Sin's fun for a season. But we're talking about eternity and your soul. We're not talking about a season and a little time when you get to have fun and have a nice job. And and they tell you you're educated because you listen to their schooling. Well, their schooling says that there is no God. Their education system says that there is no such thing as creation. It's evolution. Their education system are teaching our children that there is no such thing as true biology anymore. And you can be anything you want instead of God created them male and female. 
Listen to me. This is not real science. This is fear-mongering, lying science from the devil to control you, to get you to worship the beast if you are deceivable. If you're one of them that's able to be deceived, you're not listening to truth. And you can't blame anybody else when you get to the judgment seat because the word of God has been declared to us all. We are not without a witness. But see, that peer pressure is really tough. I, we talked about this before. I forget what the principle is called. But they took a classroom of kids, and they told every one of the kids except for one that they were supposed to lie and answer that two and two was five. And before they finished, that last child raised his hands that it was five because of peer pressure. See, but you and Jesus is a majority. If you have God on your side, nobody else can be against you. You don't need the rest of the church. You don't need anybody else to be with you to stand firm for Jesus. But it's great when the rest of the church is with you. It's great when you have the whole body of Christ working together. Then they can see our love for one another, and they will know we are his disciples. And they'll want some of what we have if we stand on truth. See, this is Bible 101, but churches don't teach the Bible anymore. Very few churches are teaching Bible. And it's not going to be a good excuse when you get to the throne room and God says, why didn't you follow my word? Well, the church wasn't teaching your word. Really? You carried the Bible with you. You had eight or ten of them in your house and you didn't read it? And if you go look at the last paragraph of John chapter 12, it says, you have that which will judge you. This word. The only thing, he's not going to give you some new stuff and go, surprise test. It's going to all be from this word right here. But the only answer is Jesus. The answer to every question is Jesus. There's salvation and no other name but Jesus. Yeshua. God is salvation is what Jesus means. So they lead him away. Now, now, what was going on as they led him away? They're, they're, listen, I want you to know that it's a completely mock, and people have made comparisons to the Russia uh, hoax because it's a false tribunal. They're not supposed to have court at night. They, they had a bunch of laws that they were not allowed to do. They needed to have two or three witnesses in order for a matter to be established and for them to find Jesus guilty. You cannot, just like today, you, you have the right not to self-incriminate yourself. You have the right to be silent. Notice Jesus is being silent. What, they broke every law. They weren't allowed to start a court hearing in one day and then finish it the same day. They broke every law in order to kill Jesus. And that's the way we are in our hearts. Listen to me. These people are no different than you and me. The only thing that's going to get us in heaven is the blood of Jesus and believing in his righteousness. We would betray Jesus. We would crucify him. We would do exactly what Adam and Eve did because we are just like them. And the only thing that saves us is the grace of God that gives us his works and not our own. And because of that goodness, then we say, well, what now? How do I live in your strength? How do I do your will? How do I walk in the gifts that you gave me while I know that I still have this body of sin on? Notice 54. 
but. That's, anytime there's a but there, there's a contrast. They led Jesus away, but Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire and then I realized that I've way too much material and I should have stopped there yet I digress do you notice that Peter's following at a distance see I already read the text where he denies him three times well how does he deny Jesus three times he's following at a distance the way the church in America does. I'm living in the world all week long, and then I come to church on Sunday, and I'm following at a distance because I don't want to be committed to Christ. See, he's afraid. He had just made that claim. If all deny you, I will not deny you, Lord. And what did we learn last week? That it was his pride. He didn't understand his own heart, but God knew his heart, and he said, Peter, Peter, be careful now. That's the way I'm paraphrasing. Be careful now. You don't know your own heart. And before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times this very night. Think about that. And we think we know our heart. We don't know our heart. We don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. But God does. And the best way to do it is to give him our heart, to surrender our heart to him, to begin to say, I want to do your will and not my will the way Jesus did in the garden last week in the text that we read. Listen to me. Jesus knew all things, and he said to Peter, you're going to deny me, but when you return, strengthen the brothers. See, so denying God is not the end of the world, as long as you return. As long as you repent, you do a 380, you turn around, you run back to Jesus. You can make mistakes, he's not disappointed. All of us are going to sin. All of us are going to fall short. I'm not giving you an excuse to sin, I'm telling you, you need to stay in his arms. The contrast is Judas and Peter. Peter repents. Peter comes back. Judas goes out and hangs himself. He doesn't repent. His heart was never with God. His heart was never trying to follow God. Peter was trying, but he didn't understand he couldn't do it in his own strength. He didn't understand that he had to surrender to the work of God in his life. He didn't understand he had to do it God's way. So he tells him, strengthen the brethren. So when you go through something, even in sin, don't go out and work on your testimony. But when you go through something, always remember that your calling as the body of Christ, as a person of God, is to strengthen others. That's what Jesus came to do, to give us his life, to give us his strength, to give us his power, to give us his spirit. He gives us his inheritance. He gives us everything that he has so that we can be strong before God. And we get to heaven and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he gives us a crown. And you know what happens then? We go, are you crazy? This is not my crown. This belongs to Jesus. I didn't do any of that. But what do we do in America? What do we do in the church today that's lost in apostate? Oh, we raise up rock star pastors that think they're all that. We create carnivals in the church. It's sad very, very sad. I was, t I was writing, I love to be, uh, don't tell nobody I said this. I love to be in the front of a hearse with the funeral director because I have a captive audience and they have to listen to everything I say. And then they have to be respectful because I'm the pastor. And don't get me wrong, most of them know God anyway. 
But I love to get a captive audience. That's like you guys are. You can't get up. Well, you can if you want. You can leave anytime you want. But I love to preach to them. I forget what my point was. Because uh, I had one the other day, and I told him a whole bunch of stuff about the Bible. Listen, dressing up in a $100 suit makes you look nice on the outside, but does nothing for your heart. In fact, it can actually damage your heart. If you think you look good and you look in the mirror and you go, yeah, self-looking good, that can damage you. That can make you think you're sufficient of yourself and you don't need Jesus. See, that's what's happened in America. Our cupboards are full. Everybody has everything. If you don't, ask Obama or somebody. They'll give you a phone. And I'm not making light of that. You can get everything you want in America. You don't need Jesus. The government, the lying government, wants to be your father. Instead of the father in heaven who laid his life down. And the government's lying to you. They're taking your money and paying for babies to be killed in foreign countries. They're taking your money and paying for militaries to be built in foreign countries. They're taking our tax dollars and using them for things that we would never use them on. In fact, they're taking your tax dollars and they're using them right now to deceive you, to put you in bondage and in prison, and you don't even know it. And make you dependent upon them for life and godliness. And they ain't God. And as I've stated many times, don't take the vaccine. It'll be as bad as drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't take the vaccine. And I know people don't want to talk about that. And I understand that I can be sued for saying it because I'm not a medical doctor. But I don't care. Be careful if you take that vaccine. The Bible actually tells us in Revelation that even after the wrath of God is being poured out, that the world will not repent of their sorcery. You know why that's important? The word sorcery is the word pharmakeia. It's the word we get pharmacy from. They would not repent of their drug use. Legal or illegal, they're both bad. And they both can steal your life from God. I do believe that there's certain medicinal things that are good for you and that can help you. But if your life is being lived and you're surviving because of medicine, you best be careful. And if you're trusting the pharmacy, it's sorcery. I don't care if you make it in a bathtub or you make it at Eli Lilly, it's pharmacy. You're mixing a witch's brew. God's word tells us that. I'm all the way off subject. Get back to the garden. Let's go back to the garden. See, that's where God's taking us, back to the garden, to the tree of life. Different fruit every month, Revelation tells us. It's amazing stuff. I don't know how it works, but I like it. don't have to understand it. I'm going to be there one day. I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. Listen, how close are you following Jesus? We're supposed to be following close behind. I get so mad at work. I go to work and, they, and we got to go to a job and there's more than one truck. And the people behind me will not follow. 
And I'm like, what are they doing? Why are you five car lengths behind me, and we're trying to go to the same place, and I'm going to have to pull over up the road? How hard is it to follow somebody when they're driving five miles underneath the speed limit? You ever do that? you got to know how to lead for people to follow. I slow down so that they can follow, and they slow down more. I'm like, what is going on? Or you got the guy, you got the other guy, he's like, uh-huh, no, no, it's competition. They taught me this in school. Everybody's got to get there first. So they swerve around you and go some other way. And they think they're going the short way, and they end up getting lost or not getting there at all. Or they get there first, and they're sitting there like this going, I beat you here. Yeah, but you don't understand the first thing about following the leader. You're rebellious in your heart. And that's why you break out in the boss who owns the company. You won't even follow him across town. Listen, these are serious things that train your heart or deceive your heart. We're supposed to be following close behind. The Spirit of God is leading the children of God into the truth of God for the glory of God. Listen to me, it's the Spirit of God. But if you're doing everything because of what the world's doing, or because I want to keep up with the Joneses, or because they said, hey, there's a virus out there and you're going to die. I'm not, I'm not making light of it. I'm burying people that are dying from something. But I'm not going to be motivated by it. I'm not going to be deceived by it. I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to go early. I don't want to go late. But I know where I'm going. Jesus defeated death. He defeated it. That's what he did. All of our lives we were afraid of death because we were sinners. But once you become a saint, you don't have to be afraid of death. I talked about this at one of the funerals, I think, or maybe even here. If you're ever in a race, like you're driving a car and you're in a race on a racetrack, or you're running a race out in track and field, how many people pull back because they don't want to get to the finish line? No, I want to get the crown. I want to get there first. And everybody's running as fast as they can. In fact, they wreck or they pull a hamstring. But in this race of becoming Christ-like, we're like, I don't want to go to the finish line. I'm staying here. And we hold on to this stuff down here that's going to burn when we could go up there. Oh, listen, I understand the emotions. I understand the feelings. I understand nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. But everybody wants to go to heaven. Interesting, isn't it? But that's the finish line. That's the place that we get the reward and there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more heartache. And once we're with him, we'll be with him forever. That's why the Bible says to rejoice at the day of death and to mourn at the day of birth. These are important truths that the church needs to get. And if we don't get them soon, it's going to get real dangerous. How close are you following? Are you following at a distance? Because this is where Peter gets in his trouble at. He has flesh that he wants to get there and he wants to protect Jesus. He wants to be following, but he has no strength. He has no power. He has no ability to do it. And so he's going to deny him. Because he's following at a distance. 
I would encourage you to read your Bible. Get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Don't follow at a distance. Make a determination. Either he's Jesus and he's the Messiah and he can take you across the finish line or he's not. Don't play with it. If you've played with it, like, oh, I got a job. I got me a new job. Oh, no, I'm just going to hang out in their parking lot. I'm not going to go in and listen to the boss. You think you're going to get a paycheck? You think you're going to ever cross the finish line at that job? I mean, if we did anything in life the way we do Christianity, we would call it failure. And that's why Christ died for us. That's why he poured out his blood for us. That's why believing is the number one way, the only way to get saved. There is one other way. Did you know that? Anybody know what it is? Keep the law perfectly and never sin. <laughs> no, I'm not a heretic. I was just teasing you. <laughs> and you can't do it. Only Jesus could do it. It's either Jesus or be perfect. And we ain't perfect, so we need Jesus. Sorry. At least I'm not perfect. Some people in Texas might be. No, I'm teasing. So he's following him at a distance. How close are you following? Is it just when I can make it to church? Just when I can get in the word? Just when I can? Just when I can? And, you know, if they say something on the job and I'm not really going to speak up, I'm just going to follow it at a distance. And if this Jesus thing doesn't work out, then I'll be right back. I'll be ready to just stay in the world and be, I'll be doing good on my job. That doesn't work. You always deny Christ if you follow him at a distance. If you don't understand the truth of the gospel, you will always deny him. You'll always make the wrong decision. You'll always fall into the bucket of sin that you didn't want to get in. Because you're focused on the wrong thing. If you're focusing on seeking Jesus, you'll be taken care of. In fact, I tell, I tell people all the time, I tell you right now, don't focus on the sin. We're all going to sin. We're sinners. Don't focus on it. See, that's what they want you to do with AA and all these programs. They want you to get focused on your flesh. They want you to get better at your flesh. you got to put your eyes on Jesus. He already paid for your sin. He's not mad at you. But when you get your eyes back on the fleshly things, the programs and the religion, there's no power in it. There's no power to stand in Christ. The power comes from the throne room. See, what did he tell them in the last text when they were in the garden? Where are you sleeping? Could you not pray and watch for one hour? See, the power is in praying and watching. The power is in staying looking for Jesus and his glorious appearing. The power is in the throne room. The power is in the relationship. There's no power in sleeping. The spiritual sleep of death by following at a distance. Now, believe me, you can be saved from it. Who thought you could get through all that? What's he doing as he follows at a distance? Notice what he's doing. He's right there in the courtyard of the enemy who arrested Jesus, warming his hands by the fire. Really? You can sit around the fire of the world and be comfortable? Really? 
That's what happens when you follow at a distance. It's okay to go to the bar. It's okay to hang out with people that don't know Jesus. When you're following at a distance and warming your hands, it's okay. It's not a big deal. But when you're following close behind, you recognize those people that are living just like you used to live. And you begin to want to tell them about the truth and lead them out by lightly salting them with the truth of God's word. With your testimony. How did they overcome? By the blood of the lamb. Number one. Then the word of your testimony. How is your life growing? But what's the third one? They did not love their lives to the death. See, when you're warming your hands by the enemy's fire and you're following at a distance, you'll hang on to self. You'll hang on to your life. Instead of picking up the life that Christ died to give you. That's the one we want to hang on to. Watching and praying. Look at that. He's warming their hands at the fire. They're going to be in fire. If they don't repent, they're going to be burned up with fire. You don't want to be warming your hands at the gates of hell. Ministering at the gates of hell is okay. Warming your hands and having fellowship with the enemy is not good. It will destroy you. He sat there. I don't know if you guys are hip to Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the path of sinners, stands not with the scornful, or sets in the seat. Listen, that's the progression. You begin to walk with them. Then you stand with them because you're listening to their counsel, and then you sit down in the same seat they're in, and they don't know God. Psalms chapter 1 explains that progression of warming your hands. Don't warm your hands with the enemy. Don't follow at a distance. Ask God. Listen, it's just simple. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus, to help you to see Jesus. He's on every page of the Bible. He's working all around us. He's, he's redeeming. That's the only ministry that the church has is reconciliation of souls. But they te keep teaching us that we need to get a bunch of money and who gets the most toys wins and we got to get th dressed this way and look this way and do this. Even in the church, we have the same stuff. It's the world. It's the devil joining the church. Now the chief priests and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none because he was an innocent man. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. See that? They have to have two or more that agree. Two or more witnesses, let a matter be established. These are the people that are in charge of the religious ruling class. They're in charge of keeping the law of God. They know what it is. Yet they've determined in their heart to kill Jesus. That's what they did in the church in America. They planned it perfectly. In the seminaries, we call them cemeteries, they trained young men to go out and teach things that were Marxist and socialist. And then we go, what happened to the church? We let the young men take over the church. I'm not speaking against young men. I'm not speaking against them. But we're not supposed to let them have the church until God wants them to have the church. 
and we're supposed to train them, even, yes, in the church, in the way that they're supposed to go, and not away from the Word of God and into man's earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. They're looking for testimony. Why? Because they've already determined they're going to kill him. Notice the, the verdict's already in. He's got to die. They didn't look at the law and then go, now what do we do because he did this? They've already decided he needs to die. We need something to kill him for. Do you see how that's upside down? That's what earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom will always get you. That's what the world does. It's upside down. And we have to look at it from right side up, from heaven down. And the only way to do that is to have a relationship with God and to learn the word of God slowly but surely in your Christian walk. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another one made without hands. But not even their testimony agreed, and the most, or excuse me, uh, what he really said was, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. He was speaking a parable about his death, burial, and resurrection. His own body was the temple he was talking about, but he had also told him about futuristically in A.D. 70 when Titus would lead an army and destroy the temple of God, the true one. You can read about that in John 2.19, by the way. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And right here, he's violating again his rights to self-incrimination. You still have it today. He was not supposed to do that. He's a high priest. He knows better than to do that. But he wanted him to incriminate himself since they couldn't find any witnesses against him. And I don't know if you know, but it's in two parts, his whole trial, because first it's before Jews, and then he's going to be handed over to the Romans, to the government, because they had lost their right to kill anybody. Even though they determined they were going to kill him, they were not allowed to use capital punishment uh, because the Roman government would not allow them to do that because they were in bondage. And he says, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, uh, the anointed of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the son of the blessed. And that, they would not say the name of God. They were so religious they couldn't say the name of God. That's how we have forgotten how to spell uh, the name of God. Y-H-W-H is uh, uh, a way they put it in the text. But they took the vowels out because they said none of us are worthy to say his name. And so they call him the blessed is one way that they would refer to God. And they would never have to say anything that was close to his name. Um, and again, like I said, Jesus said, I am. He incriminated himself. And you will see, he told them what they were going to see. They're not going to be able to enjoy it. The Son of Man, that's a messianic term, sitting in judgment. He's sitting at the right hand of the power. That's a way of sitting at the right hand of God and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is talking about judgment and his second coming. And he's going to be sitting, and that's where he's seated now. And guess what? We're seated with him. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're covered with the blood. You become joint heirs with him. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 tells you that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. 
He lets us become a part of his kingdom. He lets us have his inheritance. And he lets us be seated with him. Now, where's the contrast? Peter, following at a distance, is sitting at the enemy's camp. But those who know who they are in Christ know that positionally we're seated in heavenly places with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Practically, we know that we have a choice where we're going to sit down at. Practically down here, we have a choice who we're going to sit with. And that's why I tell you, you have to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship, making a practical decision led by the Holy Spirit of who you're going to sit with. Most Christians don't know the Bible because they sit with the world and warm their hands, and they know a whole lot about football. They know a whole lot about soap operas. They know a whole lot about everything you need to know to live in the world. But we are not built for this world. We are citizens in heaven if we're true Christians. So we need to know what's going on in our family, in our kingdom, in God's inheritance. And that's why we would read the word of God and spend time with one another so we can counsel one another, we can help one another. I mean, I tell people all the time, I learned to pray in a prayer meeting. They were asking, I learned to do funerals in a funeral. You know, everything you learn, you learn it. I mean, when I, when I learned to do drugs, I learned to do drugs in a drug house. So I don't go to a drug house to get the Word of God. I might get it there. I might get it there. My brother had a headlock ministry. We used to call him a headlock ministry. He'd get drunk and put people in a headlock and say, you better cry out to Jesus because I'm getting ready to send you. He really did. He was crazy. He's still crazy. But he knows Jesus. And he knows that's not the way to do it now. That was called backsliding, which is what Peter does here. And all the other boys follow him. And if you follow this through John 21, they're all fishing when they were called not to fish anymore. They were called to be witnesses, not fishermen. And when Jesus is crucified, they all go fishing again. They backslid. And Jesus comes there and cooks him a meal. Like I talked about when we started, he wants to have fellowship with us. And he comes and cooks them a meal, and he knocks on their heart, and somebody says, it's the Lord, and Peter dives in the water. And he wants that fellowship. He just doesn't understand it completely, and he tries to do it in his flesh when the only way to have fellowship with God is to surrender and ask him, what next, Lord, and be led by the Holy Spirit. So the high priest tore his clothes Against the law. A high priest could never tear his clothes. A high priest was, had garments that were designed for flesh never to show because flesh is evil. Nothing good dwells in the flesh. He tore his clothes against the law. What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy, and blasphemy is speaking evil against God in this sense. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Notice who they're following. They're following the high priest. They're not following God. If they were following God, they'd have said, hold up, dude. You can't tear your clothes. That's against the law of God. And I encourage you, if you hear me say something wrong when I'm teaching, don't do it in the middle of the teaching because that's a little embarrassing. But after the teaching, you can come up to me and talk to me and say, hey, you know, you said this, and I think the Bible says this. And, and, and I'll apologize at the next time we meet, and I'll explain what it was. 
because I got clay feet. I'm going to mess up. I might say some stuff backward or twisted and, uh, you know, different. But we shouldn't follow man. We should follow God. We should be Bereans who, who were more fair-minded and they studied the scriptures daily so they would know they were not being deceived. So they would know the things that Paul told them were true. Because if it's true, I know you want to follow it. But if it's me, you don't want to follow it because I'll put you in a ditch if it's me. But if it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we can go onward and upward to the kingdom of God together. I don't mind if you say something to me, but when I show you Scripture that tells it, you need to agree with God, not with me. Agree with the Scripture. They already had their minds made up that he was needing to die. They were just looking for a reason. Much like the they, they had their mind made up that they needed to get rid of President Trump and they were just looking for a reason. You know, and I'm not even trying to be political, but listen to me, all of life is political. So when people tell you, oh, you can't talk politics, it's all political. You're going to let the government tell you what to do and let them put somebody in there that's, that's, that's being paid for by China and then you say, oh, I can't talk about that. Really? Really, that's the first time they took your First Amendment right. And now you don't have one. You've been communist for about a year, and people don't even know it. And they don't care, really, as long as they got their cell phone. They're happy. Sorry, I'm just rattling now. What are you going to do when they shut your cell phone off? Anybody know how to start a fire without anything? Better learn. Listen, persecution is coming. Judgment is coming. And judgment starts in the house of God. With God's children. Think about it. God wants us to be right first. He's going to judge us first. Or how can he go punish people that didn't believe in the blood of Jesus if he can't punish us first? But here's the beauty. And you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the communion chapter. God doesn't judge us. In fact, turn over there. I know I'm long-winded. Let's turn over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, communion chapter. Let me just read this to you. It's pretty scary, really. But judgment starts in the house of God. Uh, uh, 1 Peter, go to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. But listen to what 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? But here's the good news. Listen. Here's the great news. It's all about the good news. Jesus already paid for our sin. He already took the judgment of the house of God. But he took it for those too, but they don't believe it. So they're going to, since, since Jesus took their punishment, God is able to punish them since they didn't receive it. Have you received the payment through the blood of Christ? If not, there's another payment that has to come. You have to pay for your own sin, and that's cast into eternal fire. Listen to this. Therefore, whoever, it's a communion text with the church at Corinth, which was the crookedest church on the planet, yet they're going to heaven. 
Paul wrote them four letters trying to correct them. We lost two of them. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying to you. This was instituted in the last night. We just went through it in Mark 13 so that God could have fellowship with us. But he wants us to keep our hearts right. And how will we take it in an unworthy manner? He goes on to say, he's going to tell us. What happens if you take it in an unworthy manner first? But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know what happens when you examine yourself? Think about it. You're in a courtroom and somebody else examines you and they ask you questions and say, where were you on the night of the 24th? And you go, ah, I don't remember where I was at. You cross-examine yourself is what God's telling you to do in his courtroom. He already took the punishment. He already, he already, he already pulled away all the pressure. And he's given you the power to live for him. And now he wants you just to ask yourself, am I really trying to live for Jesus? Am I really doing what I should be doing, getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship? Am I really following what God wants for me? Just examine yourself. And then he says, if you don't, watch, for he who eats of the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning, not judging, it's the same word, the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, sick, and yes, some sleep, which means dies. If you don't judge yourself and you take the cup in an unworthy manner, you don't care. I'm a Christian, but I could care less if I'm doing what God wants. You can get sick, you can be weak, and you can die. Here's the beauty of it. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. I'm examining myself. Lord, is my heart right? Search me and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your way, everlasting Holy Spirit. Because if we judge ourselves, we're not going to be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Listen, he's not against you. He's for you. He might punish you and take you to the spiritual woodshed, but it's only to correct you. It's never to cast you into hell. You're not going to lose your salvation. But we're supposed to be judging ourselves, correcting ourselves. Judgment starts in the house of God. If we really believe in the blood of Jesus, we'll want to obey what he wants us to do. He's given us gifts, talents, abilities. He's put us together in a body of Christ. And he wants us to go out and be a witness to that power. And not be afraid of the world. But the world tells us something totally different. The question is, whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose fire are you going to warm yourself by who are you following it's really quite simple all we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us and give us a desire to obey because there's nothing in us that wants to obey God except for the Holy Spirit Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus and his blood. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to understand everything that you've written in order to follow you. But, Lord, give us a desire to examine ourselves. 
Give us a desire to know whether we've even front slid before we think we might have backslid. Give us a desire to return to you and not to be deceived. Because we know it's not your will that any would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of your son Jesus. Help us to surrender at your cross because of your blood, for your glory, for such a time as this. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I